And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I'm at him at the laundry, man. Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Brian Donlevy stars as international globetrotter Steve Mitchell on Dangerous Assignment from 1951. Then Marie Wilson stars as lovable Irma Peterson on a comedy episode of My Friend Irma from 1948. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Gosh, look at those dimples, Mike. Well, yeah. I'll have to stop smiling, and then man, you won't see them. Oh, man. Maybe that's the way to go. Wow, if people could just see how deep Lisa's dimples are. I'm just going to stop smiling. Gosh, my goodness. There'll be no more happiness in the studio. Yeah. All right. Well, you ready for a good international intrigue radio drama? I love it. All right. Dangerous Assignment. It came to radio in 1949, lasted until 1953, and it starred movie star Brian Donlevy as U.S. secret agent Steve Mitchell. He was sent to exotic foreign locations to troubleshoot for the USA. And uh, he was sent on these trips by the commissioner, played by Herb Butterfield, who briefed Mitchell on his dangerous assignment at the beginning of each episode. This transition to syndicated TV in the early 1950s with 39 episodes produced by Brian Donlevy himself. So we have a radio episode for you now. Going back to April 21st, 1951, this is called The French Riviera, Bring Back Gottbeck. Here's part one now of Dangerous Assignment. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to prove that not only is the pen mightier than the sword, the ink bottle is mightier than the gun. Morning, Commissioner. Ruth said you had an assignment for me. I do, Steve, and your plane leaves in an hour. Oh, well, what uncivilized neck of the world do I get sent to this time? French Riviera. Hey, I must have been living right lately. (laughs) Hey, tell me, do they still wear those bathing suits over there, Commissioner? I'm afraid you won't have much time to be looking at bathing suits, Steve. You'll be more interested in looking at an elderly man. You want to bet? Okay, so who's the elderly man? Jan Visco. Oh, the check author? Yes, he's been living on the Riviera since the war, Steve. He's been instrumental in smuggling quite a few worthwhile citizens out from behind the Iron Curtain. Oh, that's news to me. It should be. It's a very closely guarded secret. Because, obviously, certain interests would like very much to know who's masterminding the operation that's been a thorn in their side for the last four years. I still don't see what the deal is or where I fit in. Steve, Disco has completed all the arrangements to smuggle out into free Europe the most important man yet. Who is it? His name is Gochek. He's an atomic scientist. And he can give us a first-hand account of the status of atomic research behind the Iron Curtain. I see. Enough said. 
Where's this go check now? He's been hiding in Prague, waiting for Bisco to make the necessary arrangements. This morning, we've just received word that those arrangements have been completed. Oh? Gocek will arrive secretly at the Riviera tomorrow morning. You'll meet Bisco at the prearranged rendezvous, or I should say, he'll meet Bisco and you. Oh, I'm elected bodyguard, huh? Yes, and I'm sure you realize the opposition would go to any lengths to prevent Gocek from getting to us. Get over to the Riviera, work with Jan Bisco, meet Gocek, and bring him back here to the States safe and sound. And incidentally, try to stay alive yourself. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you'll find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Sure, I've got my assignment. Fly to the French Riviera, check with an author named Bisco, then meet a scientist named Gocek who's being smuggled out from behind the Iron Curtain. All of which sounds just dandy, except that I've got an uneasy hunch that the gents who operate that iron curtain will be trying their best to drop same on my neck. It's Wednesday night, a little before midnight, when my plane lands, and I put through a telephone call to Bisco's Villa. Oui? Bisco? No. Oh, maybe I've got the wrong number. Is this Jan Bisco's Villa? Oui. May I speak to him? Who is calling, please? Mitchell, Steve Mitchell. And may I inquire why you wish to speak to Monsieur Bisco? Look, if you don't mind, that's something I'll discuss with him. Now, is he there? Can I come to the telephone at present? But if you will tell me the nature of your business, I will... Look, Buster, are you his official bouncer or something? Bouncer? I do not understand. Neither do I. Look, is Bisco going to be there for a while? If so, I'll come out. Oui, a good idea. And Monsieur Bisco, he will be here. I'm Mitchell. You're the guy I was talking to over the phone? Oui, pleased to come in. Okay. Well, did you tell Bisco that I was coming? No. What? Now, look. If you're Bisco's butler, he could do a lot better, believe me. Two items to correct, monsieur. In the first place, I am not monsieur Bisco's butler. And in the second place, it was quite impossible to inform him that you were coming out here to his villa. Why was it impossible? Because monsieur Bisco was in his library. Dead. What? Oui. A long and quite sharp letter opener buried in his back. And now, monsieur? What? Uh, that gun in your hand says you're the boy who stabbed him, too, huh? You are quite wrong, monsieur. This gun in my hand says that you are under arrest. Under arrest? Say, what is this? I am Inspector Marchon of the Cirete. Oh, well, I guess that clears a couple of things up. But it does not clear you up, monsieur. No? Well, maybe these credentials of mine will, Marchon. Credentials? Take a look. So, it would appear we have been at cross-purposes. You see, when you telephoned, I thought you might possibly be involved in the killing. So I wished you to come out here in order that I might question you. Yeah. You say the body's still in the library? Oui, this way. What time was the killing? As near as we can place it, around ten o'clock this evening. Two hours ago, huh? There is the body, seated behind the desk, as you can see. Yeah. Files and papers scattered all over the library. Mitchell, I am completely puzzled by one element in this case. What's that, Inspector? Motive. Jan Bisco was a universally respected author. Why would anyone wish to kill him? Who was his enemy? I guess he had quite a few of them. You see, Bisco headed an operation which smuggled people out from behind the Iron Curtain, Marshal. Indeed. Ah, oh, that explains it. If there are political implications in the killing... A very important scientist named Gocek is in the process of being smuggled out right now. He's due to arrive tomorrow morning, and Bisco was to meet him. Where? I don't know. 
But I'm afraid Disco's killer does. Mitchell, do you mean that this refugee scientist, Gochet, is walking blindly into a death trap? That's about the size of it, I guess. That means we've got to find out who killed Disco, then trail him or her to the meeting with Gocek and just hope we get there in time. Large order. Yeah, we've only got about six hours. Where do you wish to start? With Monsieur Bisco's secretary, perhaps? Secretary? We. Oui. Mademoiselle Helen Nolska, a Polish girl. She lives here. It was she who reported the murder by telephone. I see. Yeah, I'd like to talk to her. Where is she? In the next room. I, I will call her. Mademoiselle Nolska, would you step in here a moment? All right. This is Monsieur Steve Mitchell, a government agent from the United States. How do you do, Mr. Mitchell? Miss Nolska. Monsieur Mitchell wishes to ask you some questions in connection with the murder of Monsieur Bisco. A United States government agent investigating the death of Jan Bisco? I do not understand. Oh, you weren't aware of Bisco's activities? Of course I was aware of his activities. He was a writer. Anything else? Not that I know of. I see. Now, tell me about this evening. Very well. Mr. Bisco and I worked late this evening. Here, in the library? Yes, he was dictating to me. At around ten o'clock, I went down the hall to the kitchen to prepare tea and cakes, which Mr. Bisco always liked when he worked nights. Go on. Well, while I was in the kitchen, I heard the front doorbell. I started down the hall to answer it, but Mr. Bisco called to me that he would answer it. Oh, did you see who it was? No. About twenty minutes later, I... I went back into the library. It took you that much more time just to fix tea and cakes. And I also found that strange, Mitchell. As I explained to Inspector Marchand, I burned the first batch of cakes and had to prepare more. Okay, so 20 minutes later you returned to the library. Yes, to find Mr. Bisco dead. The letter opener in his back. It was a horrible sight. Was he expecting any visitors this evening? None. But, of course, he had several friends who frequently would drop in on him. Oh, just who are these friends? Hans, Alex, Magda. Wait a minute, not so fast. Let's have them one at a time. Who's Hans? A, a pianist. He lives on the third floor of the place next door. You can see his apartment from here. Oh, his window is dark. He is either away from home or asleep. You say he was a good friend of Monsieur Bisco? Yes, you see, uh, Hans is not a very prosperous pianist, and Mr. Bisco more or less supported him. Okay, we'll check Hans later. Who's next on the list? Alex. What does he do? Why, nothing very much, I am afraid. I see. Then there was a girl, Magda? Yes, a, a cafe singer. Okay, first I want to talk to Alex, the boy who does nothing for a living. Where does he live? It is a rather difficult place to find. Perhaps I had better take you there. Well, thanks. Let me see. My person glove should be in here somewhere. Uh, those are the ones over there on the table? Oh, yes, thank you. If you will excuse me while I freshen up, I will be with you shortly. Oh, sure. Well, Mitchell, it appears there is a long night's work ahead. Yeah, I... Hmm. What is it? I just noticed something here on the desk. Oh? You mean the paper scattered around? No, this bottle of ink that's been spilled. We oui, I noticed that. And the reason that it had been spilled by the killer is he or she searched the desk. But what about it? Part of the ink stained the top of the desk and the rest dripped onto the floor. So? Look at the stain on the top of the desk. A slight smear in the middle. Yeah. The killer could have got some of that ink on his or her hands. It is possible. We. Oui. And observe, Mitchell, this ink is the so-called indelible kind. Which means it won't wash off easily. So that we will know the killer when we find him. Yeah. But first, we've got to find them. I am ready now, Mr. Mitchell. Okay, Helen. Did you uh, check that pianist window again? Hans? Yes, but it is still dark. Okay. 
Let's try this boy Alex, then. I'm always real interested to meet people who do nothing for a living. Just jealous, I guess. Looks like I'm specializing in guys who aren't home tonight. Uh, the door, it is unlocked. Yeah, yeah. Come on, let's take a look around inside. Oh, it is very dark in here. Yeah, I'll get the lights. Yeah. Oh, brother, this isn't exactly what you'd call a mansion, is it? Cardboard over the windows, pieces of tin over holes in the walls, the works. Mr. Mitchell, it, it seems so very warm in here. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Wait, that pot-bellied stove over in the corner. Why would he have a fire when the weather is so warm? That's a good question. Huh. Bunch of charred papers. Let's see if I can salvage any of it. What is it? Propaganda handouts. Oh? Well, looks like Alex was a party boy, all right. Probably had a job passing this stuff out. But why burn it? Unless he decided to take a powder. Steve, do you think that Alex could have killed Mr. Biscoe? Well, he looks like a pretty live prospect at the moment. What do you know about him? Why, he was an old friend of Mr. Biscoe's. They were both in politics in Czechoslovakia, and both got away together after the war. But, well, lately, Alex... Well, apparently he started thinking he'd made a mistake. What do you mean? He seemed to be drifting toward the way of thought of the interests who, who now control his country. I see. As a matter of fact, he and Biscoe argued about it quite frequently lately. Well, you're making Alex sound like a real interesting guy to me, Helen. But it's a cinch we won't find him by hanging around here. Come on. Where shall we look for him? I thought you might have some ideas about... Hey. What is it? Get down. What? Down. Got to get those lights off. Steve. Steve. Oh, oh thank heavens. Steve. Uh -huh. My head. Oh, I am trying to stop the bleeding with my handkerchief. Huh? It seems to be only a scalp wound. Oh, yes, I'm luckier than oh. I deserve. What do you mean? Silhouetting us against that open doorway with the light behind us. That was real smart of me. Did you hear or see anything after I hit the pavement? No, I, I was afraid to move, Steve. I, I did hear someone running away, but that is all. Mm, could have been Alex. Steve, as we started to come outside, you were asking me if I had any ideas as to where we might find Alex. That's right. But there is a bar a few blocks from here where he frequently goes. Okay, come on. You see him anywhere? No. No, he does not seem to be here. Okay, let's go. Wait. What is it? Over there. There at the corner table. Huh? Huh? You mean that guy with his head and his arms? Yes. That looks like Alex. Hmm. The looks of that empty bottle in front of him. He's had it. Alex. Alex. Oh, uh, leave me alone. Come on, snap out of it, Alex. I... I don't know you. I, I know Helen, but I don't know you. No? You sure we didn't meet a few minutes ago outside your place? I don't know what you talk about. Steve, the condition he's in, he's, he's obviously been here most of the evening. Maybe. Look, Alex. You keep talking when all I want is for you to let me alone to grieve for my friend who's dead. Besco? And to think that I was in sympathy with him. Them? The ones who killed him. Huh? You know who did it? They did it. Who's they? When I hear about Bisco, I go home. I, 
a burn all their stinking propaganda. Look, you keep saying they and them. Let's be a little more specific. What difference does it make which one of them? It makes a big difference to me. Who was it? I don't know. Oh, fine. They're, they're all alike. All of them. All alike. Poor Alex. It's obvious he doesn't know anything about it, Steve. Either that or he's putting on a pretty good act. Well, shall we go now? Just a minute. I want to look at his hands. Hands? Okay, let's go. I did not see anything on his hands. Neither did I. What were you looking for? Ink. Ink? I'm afraid I do not understand. It's possible there's an indelible ink stain on the killer's hand. I see. Well, let's check the next name on the list. Magda? Yeah. Cafe singer, huh? I'm interested to know what kind of a song she'll sing for me. So we head to the cafe where Magda works. She's just finished the number when we arrive, and one look at her, and I can see the reason for the ovation. Oh, look, Steve, she sees us. She's coming over to our table. Yeah, quite an outfit she has on. A strapless gown, it is beautiful. I'm a little more interested in those long black gloves that come clear up above her elbow. Oh? You know any subtle way of getting a lady to take off her gloves, Helen? You think there might be an ink stain on one of her hands? That's what I'd like to find out. Helen, my dear, I am so glad you stopped by tonight. Hello, Magda. I would like you to meet Steve Mitchell. Oh, hello, Steve. Magda? Oh, Ellen, this terrible thing that has happened. I can think of nothing else. Bisco's murder? Yes. Dear sweet Jan, dead. Oh, it is so hard to believe. You two should have come in sooner. My last song. I sang it in his memory. It was one of his favorites. Would you care for a drink, Magda? No, no thanks. I can only stay a moment. But a cigarette, perhaps? Oh, sure. There you are. Oh, wait. <laughs> I want to take off these clumsy gloves. Well... I thought it was going to be a problem. Oh? Uh-huh. Skip it. Would you just look at my manicure? Is it not terrible? I should have left my gloves on. I'm glad you didn't. Oh? Uh-huh. What do you mean? Well, it gave me a chance to see your hands. Oh? Uh-huh. And what about my hands? Why, I, well, what I mean is they're, they're very nice. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, nice and white. No, there aren't any ink stains on either of Magda's hands. Pretty soon she has to do another number, so Helen and I leave. Near the door, Helen spots a guy she says she knows. She stops to talk to him and then joins me a couple of minutes later outside. I am sorry to keep you waiting, Steve. That's okay. That man I was talking to, he is an old friend I have not seen for some time. Okay, Helen. Let's see. I've still got one name on my list. Hans, the pianist who lives on the third floor next door to Bisco's place. Yes, perhaps he is home by now. You may find Hans a little eccentric. Oh, the flowing tie and hair type, huh? Yes. Well, let's go talk to him and see if we can find out if one of his eccentricities, by any chance, is murder. Brother, these walk-up apartments are for the birds in more ways than one. (laughs) This is the last flight. He isn't home after this elk climb. Oh, listen... Listen, I can hear the piano. He's home, all right. Here, this is the door. Helen, my dear, what a delightful surprise. Hello, Hans. Oh, come on, come in. Welcome to my humble quarters. This is Steve Mitchell, Hans. Hi. Oh, I'm honored to meet any friend of Helen's, sir. Helen, take off your coat and gloves. I will make some coffee. Oh, I... 
I don't think we have time, Hans. This uh, isn't exactly a social call. I, I, I do not understand. You see, Mr. Mitchell wants to ask you some questions. He is investigating Bisco's murder. Well, I... Wait a minute. What did you say? Bisco's murder? Helen, this is a bad thing to joke about. It, it is no joke, Hans. Wait a minute. You're trying to say you didn't know Bisco had been murdered? Oh, no, no, it isn't true. Honey, everybody else in town seems to know about it. But not I. Well, where were you this evening earlier? Oh, out for a walk. Well, who, who did this horrible thing? Who killed Bisco? That's what I'm trying to find out. Let's see your hands. My, my hands? What about them? Hmm. No ink spot. Well, hey, wait a minute. What is it, Steve? I thought you said this guy was a pianist. That's right. Of course I am. Yeah? You know, I thought there was something strange when I first came in this room. I've just figured out what it is. What do you mean? There's no piano in here. And being a pianist without one is a pretty neat trick. Yes. You're right. I sold my piano six months ago. I, I needed money. But the piano music we heard as we climbed up the steps. Phonograph records. I played them for Bisco's benefit. I'm ashamed to say I have been fooling him for six months with his records. Why? Oh, he loved the sound of the music. He could hear it from his window, and I knew he was too old ever to climb these stairs and discover my trick. You see, he was like a father to me. He helped support me, and I suppose it was pride that made me do this to keep him from finding out that I was a failure. I see. Helen, this thing about Bisco being like a father to Hans... That is true, Steve. Bisco was very fond of Hans. Okay, I guess we might as well go. I'm thankful for one thing, Helen. What is that, Hans? Bisco never knew he was being fooled. Oh, well, that reminds me. If you will stop by in the morning, Hans, I have a present for you from Bisco. A present? Yes. Some new phonograph records he bought for you. He said he was tired of hearing the same ones day after day. The same? Oh, he knew. Yes, Hans, he knew. All the time he knew. Come, Steve. That's the first portion of Dangerous Assignment. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Dangerous Assignment. I suppose it is silly of me asking you to see me home when it is just next door, Steve, but I am afraid my nerves are a little jumpy. Sure, Helen. Tell me, Steve, what did you think of Hans? Look, right now I'm not sure what I think of anything or anybody. Everybody in this deal is a character. A drunk in a bar, a cafe singer, a pianist without a piano. Everybody tells me how much they thought of Jan Bisco, and yet somebody killed him. I know. It is very puzzling. Oh, brother, four o'clock in the morning, and I'm no farther along than before. Well, thank you, Steve. That's okay. What is it? Nothing. I thought I saw something in the shadows across the street. Well, here, I'll just... turn on the porch light. Hey, no! What? Inside, quick! Steve! Steve, there was someone across the street. There sure was. What, what are you doing? Taking a look out the window. Do you see anyone? No. Oh, oh, that was close, Steve. You're telling me. Oh, and I made it worse by turning on the porch light. I, I did not realize. You sure you didn't, Helen? What, what do you mean? 
I mean, maybe it's taken me a long time to catch on. Catch on? I do not understand. Put it together this way. Your boss, Bisco, headed an outfit that smuggled worthwhile citizens out from behind the Iron Curtain. What? I did not know that. No. Anyway, he'd arranged to smuggle out an important scientist named Gocek who wanted to give us some very valuable information. Some of the gents behind the curtain found out about it, and of course it didn't set very well with them. Oh, Steve, why are you telling me all Let this? Let me finish, Helen. Gocek was scheduled to meet Bisco in a couple of hours. Whoever killed Bisco did it not only to put him out of business, but also to find out where the meeting was to take place so he or she could knock off Gocek, too. But I do not understand what all this has to do with me. So you obligingly trot me around to look at all the suspects. Outside Alex's place, somebody takes a shot at me. Right after you'd opened the door, thus silhouetting me in the doorway. Steve! Then, as we're leaving the cafe where Magda sings, you stop and talk to a guy. We arrive here, you obligingly turn on the porch light and silhouette me again. Bang, bang. If you are trying to insinuate that I am involved in this, you are crazy. Am I? You are a perfect spot to engineer the whole deal, Helen. I tell you, I did not kill Bisco. And I am sure I don't know whatever put such an idea into your head. It was something that Hunch, the so-called pianist, said. What do you mean? He told you to take off your coat and gloves and said he'd fix some coffee. You declined. So? That made me realize that all through the evening you've had your gloves on. Well, and if I have, what of it? And all evening long I've been looking for an ink stain on somebody's hand. I didn't find it on Alex's hand or Magda's or Hunt's. But I haven't checked your hands yet, Helen. Take off your gloves. Steve, this is I ridiculous. I said take them off. Very well, I will. And then you will see how absurd your suspicions of me... What's the matter? This is strange. What's strange? These gloves. Look, black gloves are black gloves. Yes, that is the point. What are you talking These about? These are not my gloves. What? Now, look. They, they look very much the same. They are the same size and they are the same color. But the stitching, it is different. I did not notice it until just now. But where did you get them, then? I am trying to remember. Let me see. It was right here in Visco's study. Don't you remember? Wait a minute. Yeah, we were getting ready to start out to talk to the suspects. Yes, I started looking for my purse and gloves. Then Inspector Marshall spotted them on the table. I picked them up and put them on without really looking at them. Yeah. That means somebody else picked up your gloves by mistake earlier and left her own. That also means... It also means I had better claim my property. Magda. Stand quite still, both of you. Well... Looks like I figured out the deal. A little too late, though. Indeed you did, Steve. And I figured that those attempts were on my life. You were trying to kill Helen because you knew sooner or later she'd realize the gloves she was wearing weren't hers. Then we'd figure out that you must have left them here earlier when you killed Bisco. Yes, quite right. But all of that does not matter now. I suppose you found out from Bisco where he was to meet. Go check before you killed him. Oh, certainly, certainly. And I will even tell you, hmm? since you will not be alive when the meeting takes place, it will be right here in one hour. You know, Magda, there's one thing that bothers me. Uh-huh. And what is that? This bottle of ink here on Bisco's desk. Some of it was spilled on the desk and there was a smear in it. I figured the killer had gotten his or her hand in it, but... It looks like I was wrong. Only as to location, Stephen. When I took off my gloves in the cafe, you were quite busy looking at my hands. If you had looked at my elbow, you would have seen the stain. Oh, that's why you're wearing the arm-length gloves. Hmm? Exactly. Because they, uh, they do look effective with my strapless gown, don't you think? Oh, sure, sure. I always say if I've got to be shot, I'd much rather have a girl in a white gown with black gloves do it than anyone else. I admire your sense of humor, Stephen. And now... I... Sure be a pity if anything happened to that gown, wouldn't it? What? Like this bottle of... <laughs> a little too late, Mike. No. I'll take that gun. Oh, Steve. 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 O
Oh. <laughs> Thanks for reacting like a woman, Magda. Oh. If I'd thrown that ink at your face, you oh, probably you... wouldn't have batted an eye. But it really threw you off balance when you saw the stuff flying towards that nice white gown. So, now we can meet Gocek instead of Magda. Yeah, I'm sure he'll like our kind of a reception much better than hers. Oh, that ink! That, that ink! Uh-huh. If it hadn't been for that, you'd probably be still on top. Yep, it was the ink that tripped you up, coming and going. I guess you might say it sort of put a blot on your record. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jondo with music by Robert Armbruster and is produced and directed by Bill Carn. Others in the cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Don Diamond, Hal Gerard, Lynn Allen, and Fritz Feld. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another dangerous assignment. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Hear Herbert Marshall as the man called X on NBC. And that's Dangerous Assignment from April 21st, 1951, starring Brian Donlevy, also in the cast, Herb Butterfield, Betty Lou Gerson, Don Diamond, and Hal Gerard, sustained over NBC. All right, it's time now for my friend Irma. I love this radio series. It was such a fun series. Set in Manhattan, came to radio in 1947, lasted until 1954. Now there were movies and a TV series as well. Marie Wilson starred as Irma Peterson, a dim-witted blonde stenographer, and Kathy Lewis played her roommate, Jane Stacy. Irma's boyfriend, Al, portrayed by John Brown, was a deadbeat. Jane's boyfriend was millionaire banker Richard Rhinelander, played by Leif Erickson. It was created by Cy Howard. All right, so this is called Irma Wants to Join a Club. It stars Marie Wilson and Kathy Lewis. Let's go back to May 17, 1948, for part one of My Friend Irma. Jane, it says here in the encyclopedia that the female centipede has over 50 legs on each side. That's interesting, Irma, but I don't care. You don't care, but what about the male centipede? You must get hoarse from whistling. (laughs) Well, that's what you can expect when you listen to my friend Irma. Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, presents... Our friend Swan. With my friend Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. working gal struggling to get along, that 5.30 whistle is the prettiest music in the world. Why? Because after a murderous day of listening to the dictaphone, typing on my Remington, knocking myself out, answering phone calls, I long for that peace and quiet of home. But if you live with Irma Peterson, you can't wait until the office opens again. (laughs) This may seem like a pretty tough attitude, but these are the things that bring it on. Right now, Irma is sitting cross-legged on the floor. In front of her is a jigsaw puzzle. It's supposed to be a farmhouse. Personally, I feel sorry for the farmer because the way Irma's fitted the pieces together, he'd have to go down in the cellar to fix a leak in the roof. <laughs> Irma. Yes, Jane? You know, honey, it's none of my business, but don't you think it's rather odd to have the cow laying an egg? <laughs> the farmer's wife grazing in the field? 
And the farmer pulling the plow with the horse driving? Well, it's not my fault, Jane. I wish when they made these jigsaw puzzles, they wouldn't use such crooked scissors. Now, uh, uh, where does this last square piece go? Goes in your mouth, honey. It's a cookie. It fell off the table. Well, Jane, this is a fine time to tell me. I think I've eaten the chimney. Oh, I'm missing a piece. Look, sweetie, before I go to pieces, too, would you tell me if there was any mail for me? Oh, yes, Jane. There's a letter for you on the table. Here. Oh, thanks, honey. Why do you have your eyes closed? The envelope is marked personal. <laughs> Thank you, Emily Post. Irma! What, Jane? Irma, it's happened. What's happened? They've accepted me for membership in the New York Professional Women's Club. Gee, Jane, you're taking an awful chance. Look what happened to that friend of Val's when he joined a club. He was sent away for ten years. <laughs> You're a little clouded up, honey. He wasn't sent away for joining a club. He was sent away for using one. Irma, <laughs> honey, do, do you feel badly about my joining the club? Well, a little, Jane, because, gosh, I, I always thought that you and I would always stick together. You know, like a pair. Like the Three Musketeers. A pair like the Three Musketeers? <laughs> yes. Oh, you, you mean like you and Al and I are a trio, like the four Marx Brothers. <laughs> Don't be silly, Jane. We're not all boys. <laughs> Look, honey, my joining the club has nothing to do with our friendship. That will always remain. Besides, you don't have time to join a club. You see Al seven nights a week. Why stop doing that, Jane? I'm only going to see him six nights a week. I want to play hard to get. <laughs> Now, look, sweetie, let's not make a big issue out of this, huh? It's, it's only one night a week, and it's not serious enough to break up our friendship. So let's just drop the subject. Okay, honey? Oh, it's okay with me. I wonder what's become of Janie. That old pal of mine. See, I'm off key. Oh. Irma, stop with the dramatics. I thought you said you'd forget the whole thing. I will. I don't care what you do. <laughs> well, if you don't care, what are you crying about? If you really like me, you'd you'd get me into the club, too. All right. All right, you asked for it, so I'll tell you. I was trying to let you down easy, but here goes. I cannot get you into the club because I don't want to go through what I did when I got you to knit sweaters for the Red Cross. Well, I thought my sweaters were very attractive. They were, but you very seldom see a sailor with six arms. <laughs> well, my my girlfriend Amber Lipscott says it seems that way every time she goes out with one. Mm -hmm. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little telephones. One busy, the other disconnected. <laughs> Excuse me, a little joke I read on the wall of a telephone booth. Professor, why are you looking so miserable? Girls, I don't know how to tell you this, but my heart's broken. Mrs. O'Reilly has fallen in love with somebody else. Oh, you don't mean it. It's a fact. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't know what to say, Professor, but, gee, you mustn't take it so hard. I can't help myself. The man is a close friend of mine. He's always been sickly, and a thing like this will kill him. 
But the whole thing has taught me a lesson. What's that, Professor? You should never mix love with business. The whole time I was courting her, she didn't do one thing to fix my room. But I was in love. I didn't notice. To me, the rain from the roof was nectar from the clouds. To me, the water leaking from the bathtub was wine from the gods. <laughs> but this is all over and done with. Now I lay down the law to Mrs. O'Reilly. Cupid goes out, the plumber comes in. <laughs> It just shows you sometimes your best friends turn on you. Come on, girls. Tell the old professor what's going on between my two little sweethearts. Oh, Professor Irma's a little upset because I've been offered membership in the professional women's club and she wants to join, too. Irma, darling, don't be a child. Why do you want to join a club? Most of them are silly. Take me. I belong to a club of all the waiters at the gypsy tea room where I work. It's no fun. Only every year we have a big name contest. A name contest? Yeah, we think up new names to call the boss. <laughs> oh, Professor, you're just as bad as Jane. Two of you are just trying to keep me from joining a club. You don't think I'm smart enough to be an elk? Or a moose? <laughs> or an odd fellow? Well, I'm just as odd as the next fellow. <laughs> well, I mean that... Oh, Irma, be reasonable in the first place, honey. I'm not a member yet myself, you know. I have to be interviewed by Mrs. Huntington, the head of the acceptance committee. I'm not too worried, though, because with all modesty, I think I'll pass. Well, what about me? If they ask me, I'd pass, too. I have as much modesty as you. <laughs> Irma, let's face it. You're not the club type. Now, what happened last year when you applied for membership at the YWCA? They turned me down. And after your interview, what excuse did they give? A legitimate one. They weren't taking women last year. <laughs> Remember when you tried to get into the Third Avenue Stenographers Club? Yes. And after the interview, what happened? Well, Jane, that was the year they weren't taking stenographers. <laughs> I'm just a misfit. Irma, darling, don't cry. I had the same experience last month when I tried to join the Lions. What happened? They told me this was the year they are just taking Lions. <laughs> but I want to do the same thing Jane does. Jane, darling, if little Irma's got her heart set on it, why don't you see what you can do? Well, Professor, I was just about to suggest that. Oh, Jane, I'm so happy. Gosh, now we're more than just roommates. We're maternity brothers. <laughs> maternity brothers. Yeah, maternity brothers. And we must stick together because parting is such sweet sorority. <laughs> Jane, you're a wonderful girl, and I'm sure Irma won't disgrace you. And now, if you'll excuse me, I got to go back to my room. At three o'clock, the tide goes out, and I want to see what it left. <laughs> oh, Kropotkin, you beachcomber, you. Now, look, honey, here's the way we've got to work it. I'm going to go down now and be interviewed by Mrs. Huntington, you see? And if I'm accepted, I'll recommend you, and then it'll be your turn to be interviewed. Oh, good, Jane. Oh, and to make a good impression, when I go down, I'll take that picture of Al's grandfather leading his club in a parade. Irma, I've told you a million times, that's not a club he's leading. That's a posse chasing him. <laughs> Hello, Jane. Hiya, chicken. Hi, Al. Hello, Al, honey. You mind if I sit down? I'm all in. Why? Someone mentioned the word work to you? 
Jane, I don't think it's wise for you to taunt a man that's on the verge of closing one of the biggest deals of our time. I may be of all time. Oh, Al, not another deal. Well, sure. But, Al, I haven't gotten over your last one. Now, there was really a great idea. Adding hair to coconut shells so you can sell them for toupees. <laughs> well, that, that deal didn't quite work out. A lot of the boys wanted permanent waves. But I got one now that can't miss. It's a domestic-type deal. And natural for married men who stay out late. Well, what is it, Al, honey? It's a lapel flower with a bulb attached filled with chloroform. So when you come home late at night and your wife asks where you've been, you squirt it and say you've just come from the hospital visiting a sick friend. <laughs> but, Al, what if she doesn't believe you? You don't care. By that time, the dame is sound asleep. <laughs> what do you think of that, Jane? Well, it makes me yawn, too. Good night, Al. Never mind the cracks, Jane. Ain't gonna fight with you because I'm too busy planning for the future. You have a future? I resent you using the same tone as you used when I told you I had a mother. Al, <laughs> oh, honey, I believe in you. What were you gonna say? Well, chicken, as you know, the subway fare is being raised the first of July from a nickel to a dime. Naturally, that means altering my whole financial structure. What do you mean, Al? Reconversion. Got to change all my nickel slugs into dime slugs. <laughs> well, honey, I've got to run along and see Mrs. Huntington now. I hate to leave you alone. Oh, but, Jane, you're not leaving me alone. Al's here. Oh, yeah. I forgot you're with Al. <laughs> Nothing. Futile female. Chicken can't warm up to that dame. And one of these days, I'm going to change this atmosphere. What do you mean, Al? When we get married, I'll move in here and edge her out. Little by little. Now, Al, honey, one thing I insist on. I love Jane, and I, I won't permit you to talk about her that way. I admit she's got a sharp tongue, but she's got a good head on the end of it. Well, maybe you're right. Jane, Jane's a pretty good kid. It's just that I'm all on edge. Must be nervous. Oh, Al, what can I do about it? Get me three or four sandwiches. It relaxes me. No coffee. It'll ruin my whole day. Keeps me awake. All right, Al, honey. And while I'm making you the snack, Al, I'd like to tell you about the club that Jane is going to try to get me into. That's the first portion of My Friend Irma. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. These classic radio shows are direct from master recordings and digitally remastered. We license these classic radio shows from the owners and estates for the privilege of using their master recordings as our source material so that we can pass that great sound quality on to you. Oh, you can find classic radio shows sold on the Internet from companies that are not authorized to sell them, but you'll often be disappointed by the inferior sound quality. If you enjoy listening to and collecting great sound quality classic radio shows, we've set up a website just for you at ClassicRadioStore.com so you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to download your favorites to your smartphone, computer, or any listening device. We offer thousands of digitally remastered classic radio shows, uncut and unedited, including the original commercials, delivered to you instantly via digital download. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. 
Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the conclusion to My Friend Irma. Then we'll hear The Whistler from 1945. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.